Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello and welcome back in to another episode of Gamecock Central GM, the post-NFL Draft Edition. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler, and here to break down the good, the bad, and the ugly from the 2020 NFL Draft, as always, Will Helms. Will, you did an amazing job in the lead-up to the draft. Is that a night that you can just, or I guess three nights, that you can just sit back and relax, or are you constantly analyzing and reanalyzing all the film that you watched and everything that you broke down in the lead-up to the draft? So I think first night's a little bit more... um, Looking at, at team fit, you know, where I am, I always like to see, um, you know, how many of the first-round picks did I pick correctly, um, all that kind of stuff. Second day and third day is a little bit more relaxed. I can kind of sit back and just, you know, just get excited about the guys I really like or, or make fun of teams that I think overdraft guys and things like that. Um, but the first night is, is a little bit more uh, labor-intensive, and then, you know, nights two and three are just kind of more relaxed. Do you watch, like, every single pick? Yeah, I watched every single pick except for I missed the seventh round. Hmm. Um, so that was about it. All right, that's fair. That's way more than I watched. That's probably – that might be more picks than I've watched in my entire life. I will always watch the first round. Well, no, that's not even true. I will always watch some of the first round, a little bit of the second round. I I rarely watch any of day three, but um, that's why you're the expert here, and I'm not. Uh, in terms of the actual broadcast and just the entertainment value watching it, obviously it was a little bit different this year with everybody doing it via Zoom. Roger Goodell calling the picks from his basement. Jerry Jones calling his picks from, it looked like a yacht, I guess, is, is what we determined on that. How, how would you grade the overall draft broadcast compared to years past? I thought it was fun. I actually really liked it. Um, I, I like to see the, the coaches kind of in their natural habitats, so to speak, um, and, and just kind of see what, what some coaches did versus what other coaches did. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with we just wanted something to break up the monotony of all of this. Um, and, and so I think that was a really fun way to do it is, you know, even two, three days after the draft, people are talking about not just the draft picks, but, hey, did you see, uh, you know, Bill Belichick's dog? Did mm-hmm. you see, um, you know, this guy or, or, and his girlfriend had maybe an argument over the phone or whatever? And we're, <laughs> we're sitting there talking about that, which I think just adds to the value of the draft as a, um, I guess media, um, I, I guess event more um, more so than just um, you know a thing that happens. We we talk about the draft. It was more an event this year, and I kind of like that. Yeah, I kind of felt like what what we lost in the excitement of having everybody in a room together and guys walking across the stage and doing hugs and elaborate handshakes. We, we didn't have that, but we made up for it in sort of the personal touch that you're talking about, and 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 lots of good memes. You know, everything from Cliff Kingsbury's incredible living room setup with just like desert and mountains in the background and a pool and just look like, you know, the, the coolest house and the coolest room maybe I've ever seen in my life to Bill Belichick just kind of chilling in his dining room with his dog. And was it Mike Vrabel who had somebody pictured like sitting on the toilet or something in the background? Yeah, I think so. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that, that part of it was definitely a, 
definitely meme worthy and you're right you know kind of helped break up the monotony so uh, i'm with you I, you know every bit that i watched i thought it was as well executed as as humanly possible uh, and speaking of execution obviously what we did in the lead up to the draft was more of a big board than a mock draft but you did put together a mock draft and there's some parts of it obviously you're not going to go 100 percent. you're not going to go all you know 250 whatever it is 256 253 or 252 how many picks are there um, two hundred and fifty-four. Fifty-four. All right. Well, you're not going to go two fifty-four of two fifty-four, but some of those, you know, everybody, even the mock, the like the top, top, top mock experts, got to give themselves a break because you never know when a team's going to trade up and make something unexpected happen. But with all that in mind, how would you grade your own performance in putting together your mock draft? In my first round, I got twenty-six out of thirty-two, um, wow. which I think is pretty decent. Um, I'll give myself a break on a couple of those. Nobody's ever going to pick what the Seahawks do because the Seahawks, I think, choose. I think they read a bunch of mock drafts and then decide how can we make sure that every mock draft expert expert is wrong because they never pick the guy that people think they are. Um, so I'll give my break, myself a break on that. A couple of other ones, I had it going you know, one of two ways. Of, oh, I think they'll go with this guy, but they went with another guy that they like just a little bit better. Um, I think um, off the top of my head, I had like um, Jeff Gladney going in the second round and mm. um, to a team that ended up picking a corner in the second round, um, but he didn't. Uh, but he ended up going in the first round to a team I had picking a corner, and so little things like that where um, you know teams have their guys, um, and even though there is a lot of information today about um, what guys teams are talking to, a lot of times we we just get surprised by you know, who that team's guy is. Um, I think even, you know, we look at closer to South Carolina. Um, I think that the 49ers made a great pick, obviously, with Javon Kimball. Nobody had Javon Kimball going to the 49ers before the draft. Yeah. Um, and, and so you look at that, they just really, really liked him. He's the guy that they wanted. Um, and so you look at that, and it's really, really hard to predict that. Um, there's a, a thing called um, – think of the exact name but on twitter um they have 70 draft experts and they talk about um you know how many points did they get for their mock drafts and all this kind of stuff um and the guy that won i think got 29 out of 32 first round picks wow so just three picks off gonna be two or three that you're just not gonna get Mm -hmm. that's impressive wait you did 26 and the best of the 70 experts they had on the broadcast was 29 yeah and i think his second round was also really really good um, but yeah, overall, no, granted, a lot of that is everybody's going to get Joe Burrow. Everybody's going to get Tua, everybody's going to get Chase Young. So, you know, of those 26, probably 15 of them are surefire first round picks. And right. then beyond that, you, you get kind of into your fringy first round picks of, you know, do we think this guy's going early? Do we not? Um, like my, my first pick of the second round was Jalen Rager. Um, and he goes to the Eagles at 22. Mm-hmm. So miss that one, but you don't miss that one by a huge um, margin. Was there a pick that, like, I guess beyond the first round, or maybe even within the first round, like later in the first round, that you didn't see in a lot of places that you absolutely nailed? Um, that I absolutely nailed. Um, that's a tough one. I got T. Higgins um, in the second round to um, the Bengals, I believe. Um, so I got that one and then, um, what's another one? CJ Henderson, I had going a lot higher than other people. And then I had, um, one thing that I thought I was, was pretty good. Everybody was kind of just taking a crap shoot at 
what the offensive line would look like. Um, and I ended up nailing that in a row. Nice. Um, yeah, a lot of people were surprised when Thomas went first. I was very surprised just because I didn't expect the uh, Giants to do that. Um, I thought it was a really, really great pick. I thought it was one of the more surprising um, but better picks in the top ten um, for the Giants to take um, Andrew Thomas there. I just totally did not expect them to do that. Well, that's kind of where we're, we're headed with this next, um, you know, both in terms of uh, you know good surprises, bad surprises, and – and value again. It's so hard to do this. You know, we're not going to know for most of these guys for you know three years, five years down the road. Once we get a a real sampling of what these guys are like as pros, um, but we're going to do some good. We're going to do some bad, and instead of ugly, we're going to do surprising. And we'll start with surprising since you're already sort of headed in that direction with Andrew Thomas to the Giants again. Surprised you? Surprised a lot of people, but you feel like was a, was a really good pick. So I guess I could fall into a couple categories, but just give me a couple picks that most surprised you. You mentioned Andrew Thomas. Uh, you mentioned C.J. Henderson uh, all the way up at number nine, although uh, if people will recall the defensive back portion of the podcast that we did, you were also very high on C.J. Henderson, so got that one. Now, what are a couple other picks that jumped out to you anywhere, not just in the first round, that were very surprising, that either guys uh, you know, fell a lot further than you expected or got drafted a lot higher than you expected? I think that kind of goes along with it, of, of guys that are picked early, the guys that are picked late. I was kind of surprised. Um, I think the first really, really surprising pick to me, um, and I may be missing one, um, would be the Eagles taking Jalen Rager at 22 or 23 or wherever they were. Um, I like Jalen Rager, but in my opinion, there are a lot of guys out there that are better than him. And um, there are a lot of guys that I thought the Eagles as an organization would be much higher on than he was. Um, I think it's a little bit of a reach at 21 um, where he was picked. Uh, I had a second-round grade on him. I thought they might go with, like, a LaVisca Chenault or um, a T. Higgins. I thought they'd go with kind of a bigger receiver. Um, they've got Alshon Jeffrey there, um, but, you know, he's not getting any younger. Um, I thought they would go with kind of a bigger possession receiver. That just kind of se- seems to be over the years um, the Eagles' M.O., and they didn't really go with that. They went with a speedy guy, 5'11", 206. I like Jalen Rager. His film last year was a little bit – it was hit or miss. Um, I thought it was really surprising that he went specifically to the Eagles. Not necessarily that he went that high, but just I thought that the Eagles might, um, especially with the way the draft board was falling, I thought that they might trade up and take one of the big three receivers in the draft. That didn't happen, and then they were content to take Jalen Rager, which I was pretty surprised with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the first one. Uh, we already talked about Andrew Thomas going um, in the uh, being the first offensive tackle off the board to the Giants. I didn't think that looking at Andrew Thomas, he screams Dave Gettleman offensive lineman to me, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but I was kind of surprised that they took him over maybe a, a Jedrick Wills or um, even a Mekhi Becton. Um, and then the last thing is I was really surprised with how the defensive backboard fell. Um, you have A.J. Terrell, who went way higher than I think anybody picked them. It doesn't surprise me because the Falcons do that a lot. Um, last year, they took two offensive linemen in the first round. They do some surprising first-round stuff, so I'm not overly surprised that the Falcons were a team that picked him that high. Uh, but then you look after that, the first safety pick, um, I believe, um, was Kyle Duggar to the Patriots in the second round. I could be wrong, could be missing a safety um, but I don't think that there were any first-round safeties. And I had four safeties with a first-round grade. Um, so I think there's tremendous value in the second round for any team that ended up getting a safety um, in the second or even the third round. 
just based on how the uh, the board fell. Isaiah Simmons falling to the Cardinals at eight. Uh, that, that surprised some people based on the conversation that you and I had. Makes a, I don't know, not the most surprising thing because you look at the guys in front of him and it's like, well, would you rather have Isaiah Simmons or Joe Burrow? It's like Joe Burrow. Would you rather have Isaiah Simmons or Chase Young? Chase Young, and you kind of go down the line. Uh, the the Chargers going uh, get going for uh, Justin Herbert at six. You know, surprised a couple people just given that it seemed like there was a big drop off between. Burrow, Tua, and then Justin Herbert in sort of the next class of quarterbacks, and obviously Jordan Love, a guy that you were high on, I think had Jordan Love, number three on your big board, going a lot lower at 26, so that surprised some people, but when you look at everyone that went in front of them and and teams drafting for need in terms of quarterbacks and things like that, not a huge surprise that Simmons went uh, number eight to the Cardinals, and I don't think like a huge knock on him because he's still a top 10 overall pick, but one of the things you talked about with Simmons is that where he landed was so important in his development and his ability to flourish as an NFL player because of his versatility. Is that a good landing spot for Simmons, in your opinion? I think it's probably the best landing spot he could have hoped for. Um, I, I really like what Arizona is um, is building over there. I like Cliff Kingsbury's style. Um, and, and, yes, he's an offensive coach, but that philosophy of be aggressive, be fast, be all over the place, um, really, really goes well with his defense. Um, a, a lot of really good offensive coaches have good defenses because they build their defenses around how they would stop themselves. Um, and, and to me, Isaiah Simmons is a guy that can match up with a lot of those matchup nightmares in that division. Um, when, when I look at a draft, there's maybe one guy a year that I say, yeah, he could probably stop some guys in the 49ers. Um, and Isaiah Simmons is that guy. And so we, just looking at matchups there, with all the great skill position players in that division. Um, and you've got a guy that can cover, um, you know, the Seahawks picked up Greg Olson. You've got a guy that can cover Greg Olson. Um, the 49ers um, picked up Brandon Ayuk, loved that pick. Um, you've got Isaiah Simmons can stop him. Isaiah Simmons can line up against Debo Samuel. He's done it in the past. Um, maybe not the most successfully, but, um, you know, it's hard to stop Debo Samuel, obviously. But you've got a guy that can match up with a lot of those um, real X-factor guys on offense in that division. So I think it's a great, great landing spot um, for Isaiah Simmons. I was a little surprised the Panthers didn't take him, mm-hmm. but then they traded up to take my guy uh, Jeremy Chin in the second round, and I think it makes a little bit more sense now where they were going philosophy-wise. Um, just, I think, in, in the Panthers' minds, you've got a bunch of safeties or linebacker or hybrids that are, they were really high on, and they weren't high on a ton of offensive or defensive linemen. So you take your defensive lineman, um, you take your defensive tackle first, mm-hmm. and then you address your other needs later in some of those deeper positions based on a team's draft board. I'm going to ask you about the Panthers, uh, unless they just happen to come up in our next segment, but I'll, I'll save a little bit of that Panther talk. One more guy that I wanted to ask you about, another first-round surprise, and obviously it's been maybe the biggest storyline exiting the 2020 NFL draft is the Packers trading up to 26 to take Jordan Love again a guy that you were high on the fact that he was the fourth quarterback you know taken after uh Herbert went again at six which feels like a reach for a lot of people uh were you surprised I guess maybe not that Love was taken at 26 because you had a pretty good grade on him and you're high on his upside but that the Packers were the ones that went for him definitely I mean I think there's two things we have to look at when we look at draft grades um I look less at need than a lot of other people um, but in this case, you do have to look at needs and you have to look at what your team um, is capable of. You don't draft a backup quarterback in the first round that you don't expect to start for three or four years unless you're a solid team with like a solid quarterback and you don't really have a lot of other issues that you need to fill. 
the Packers were in the NFC Championship last year and nearly made it to the Super Bowl. And you've got a guy, Aaron Rodgers, that might be, in my opinion, the most talented quarterback to ever play football. Um, and you've got him. And he's sitting there going, we just need some weapons. We need a couple more weapons, and we can really make it to the Super Bowl. We're in the, you know, we're in the, deep in the playoffs last year. And who does management go with in the first round? A backup quarterback that's not going to help your team at all. I think drafting a backup quarterback in the first round is fine if you're in a certain situation. Um, I, I think I thought maybe the Buccaneers would take a backup quarterback. Um, or you've got maybe – I could see the Seahawks taking somebody like that. Um, where they don't really have a ton of um, holes in their um, in their team at different positions. But the Packers, you look at it, and every single mock draft expert goes, they need a receiver. It's the deepest receiver class we've ever seen. They're going receiver first round. Easy, not a big, you know, not a hard decision. Pick your favorite receiver there at 26. There's going to be some really good ones. Take him. He's going to be um, really good. Aaron Rodgers is going to be able to um, – connect with him really early, and he's going to have a good, you know, good early part of his career with Aaron Rodgers. And then they go with a backup quarterback. I, I saw a stat the other day on Twitter that said Peyton Manning threw 265 touchdown passes to first-round picks, and mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers in his career has thrown one, and that was last year to Mercedes Lewis at the age of 35. Wow. And so you look at a team that just – you've got one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and they just refuse to help him. Um, and, and I don't know why. I don't know what if it's stubbornness or if it's um, an over reliance on Aaron Rodgers, where you go, well, Aaron Rodgers is the best ever, so he doesn't need help. Um, I don't know what it is, but to me, that was not surprising because it's the Packers and the Packers do things like that. <laughs> but it was a little bit intriguing to me to just kind of see that even in under perfect circumstances of like this is the year they're going to get Aaron Rodgers a guy. And they didn't. Was that the wrong pick, though? Because I think you and I both support the philosophy of draft the best guy available as opposed to drafting for fit in most cases. Now, this may be an extenuating circumstance because, as you mentioned, the Packers, you know, their their roster is already pretty decent and maybe they can afford to be a little more nitpicky. But it seems like the company line coming out of the Packers front offices, hey, this guy was at the top of our big board. He was the best guy we had available. So we wanted to go get him. Do you buy that? And is that the right philosophy in that spot? I buy it, but I don't think it's the best philosophy. Um, so I think they took that too much to heart with some of their picks um, as far as we, we have the best guy available and just not paying attention to fit at all. Um, I like A.J. Dillon in the second um, – maybe not in the second round. I thought it was maybe a third-round pick. He does not fit that offense at all. It's like they looked at a, a sheet and said, yeah, we like that A.J. Dillon guy we're going to ignore what he could do in our offense and we're going to put him here. You're taking a guy with zero upside as a pass catcher. Um, Aaron Jones came out of nowhere last year to be really one of the best running backs in the NFL last year. And you're going to take him out and instead put him, um, you know, put a guy that as soon as he gets in the, um, gets in the game, AJ Dillon's not really a great pass blocker either. So you're looking at a guy and you're going, if he goes in the game, we either don't have to worry about him or he's running the ball up the middle. And those are the two things. And anytime in an offense with Aaron Rodgers, you run the ball, it's probably a bad idea just because you're getting the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands. Um, and so, you know, last year we're looking at um, a lot of these stats and they just did not um, 
have a receiver. Now, Devontae Adams was hurt. Um, he almost reached 1,000 yards. Um, but beyond that, you have Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams as your two best receivers, both coming out of the backfield, um, beyond uh, Devontae Adams. And so we're looking at some of this, and they really, really needed a receiver. Um, I think there were two teams that you could look at in the first round and go, we obviously know what you need. Um, at least later in the first round, that would be the Eagles and the Packers. And the Eagles addressed their need, even maybe in a different way than I thought they might. They said, we need receivers. We're going to pick a receiver that we like. There's a lot of them. Let's do it. And the Packers didn't. And you think about some of those guys that went after the Packers. Um, to me, it just doesn't make sense. Um, you know, who was there and who they took. Um, because I think, honestly, there's not going to be a lot of other teams that were going to take Jordan Love if he didn't go in the first round. So if you really wanted Jordan Love, trading up for a quarterback is not the worst thing in the world. But you look at some of these guys that were there um, when, they, when they drafted. So you missed T. Higgins, you missed Brandon Ayuk, um, Michael Pittman Jr., LaVisca Chenault, um, even if you want to go down a little bit further, Denzel Mims. Um, a lot of these receivers – were there in the first round, and they didn't go there. And then after that, they doubled down and still didn't take a receiver the rest of the draft, even though they could have had a guy like Brian Edwards or Lynn Bowden or Devin DuVernay or you know, any of these really solid, probably first or second round picks in any other year, and still didn't take them later in the draft. And t- that, to me, was very confusing. Hmm. All right, well, it sounds like we might be talking about the Green Bay Packers again here in just a minute, but unless you have any other uh, specific guys that you want to talk about, you know, just really intriguing individual picks, uh, I'll go ahead and segue us into the three best teams, or, or rather the three teams that had the best draft in 2020 and the three teams that had the worst draft in 2020. Um, this doesn't have to be in any particular order. I don't know if you ranked them, uh, but let's start with let's start with the best. Give me the three teams that did the best job in the 2020 draft. So I think one of the teams that we can point to and say, yeah, that, that was a pretty good draft, and I think it had nothing to do with them. Um, it just sometimes is how the draft falls. Um, I really like what the Cowboys did. Um, yes, they completely lucked into a guy that they didn't even have on their big board because they didn't expect him to be there in C.D. Lamb in the first round. But then you pick a guy like Trayvon Diggs, a, a really good cover corner that I think can be really um, – can. he's got a little bit of growing to do, but we've talked about him as being a, a DB I really like. Um, and then you go to uh, Neville Gall- Gallimore in the third round. I thought he was um, probably a little bit lower than he – probably should have gone if I had maybe a second round grade on him. And then the fourth round, you have another guy I had a second round grade on and Reggie Robinson um, from Tulsa, really, really good corner, a little bit raw, um, but six one two Oh five really long. Um, and he's got size, he's got speed um, and he's flashed coverage ability. And so you get a guy like that, that really could start in the fourth round, I think is, is tremendous um, value. And then even going further, they trade back into the fourth round, um, and end up getting um, Biadaz from Wisconsin. Anytime you can get a Wisconsin offensive lineman, it's good. He went way lower than he probably should have. I don't think there's a big difference between him and, say, a Cesar Ruiz that went in the first round. Um, so you get that kind of value in the fourth round, I think is a tremendous, tremendous draft for the Cowboys there. Um, and then talk about a couple other things. Um, talk about position or uh, I guess um, best available over need I think the Cleveland Browns really really did that they needed an offensive tackle 
Um, they didn't overdraft an offensive tackle, but they needed an offensive tackle in the first round. Most people thought they were going that way. They picked the best available there, like we um, we said that they would, um, with Jedrick Wills. And so they pick him. Um, you know, some people had him ranked as the number one offensive lineman. Um, you know, it's good value at 10 to get an offensive tackle that you know is going to start for you. Um, we talked about it before. He's protected to his blind side. He may move to left tackle. We're not sure. Um, but you get your tackle there at 10. Second round, you get uh, Grant Delpit, who I had a first-round grade on. You get Jordan Elliott in the third round, who I had a high second-round grade on. Um, Jacob Phillips is a really good, rangy linebacker. Um, get him late in the third round. I, I had him as a fringe um, top 100 pick, and you get him at, I think, 106, 107, something like that. Um, and then even going further, Harrison Bryant in the fourth round. Um, I think he's a really good tight end. He's got a lot of upside. Um, I really like him. And then uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones. I had a second-round grade on Donovan Peoples-Jones. And here the uh, Cleveland Browns are benefiting from a really deep wide receiver class, picking him in the sixth round. Um, so all the analytics, if we're looking at it from that perspective, love the uh, Browns draft because overall, um, just overall rank, of the players going into the draft, they picked the highest ranked players. Um, I, I think I read that they got five top 50 picks according to PFF's um, numbers, which is just obviously really, really good because they didn't have five top 50 selections. Um, you're, that means you're getting value at, you know, in the sixth round of potentially a top 50, top 75 player. Um, that's always a really good sign if you can do that. Um, and then going a different direction, um, again, it just kind of depends on how it falls to you sometimes. I thought the Buffalo Bills had a very, very good draft, despite not having their first selection until 54 overall. Um, 54, 55, I can't remember exactly where that was. Uh, but they get a first-round guy in um, A.J. Epinesa. We talked about him, not the most athletic guy, but probably a fringe first-rounder, and he drops them at 54 um, then he got got a running back in Zach Moss, who I really like Zach Moss. I think he's a pretty good um, pretty good running back. I like Gabe Davis from um, UCF. I like where he fits in that offense, um, giving you a, a really kind of a DK Metcalf almost. He doesn't do a lot good, but what he does is really, really good. And the guy can just beat, get, beat one-on-one man coverage. Um, and you need guys like that. You need guys that are going to – um, be able to compliment your Stefan Diggs of the world who are going to be more your possession receiver. He could just take the top off of the defense. I think he fits really well in that Buffalo offense. Um, and then the last one there would be um, Jake Fromm. Uh, you know, just because I wasn't big on Jake Fromm doesn't mean that the value in the fifth late in the fifth round is not there. Um, and it, it very much is. And so I think Buffalo did a really nice job of taking what the draft board gave them um, and not having to panic and jump up too high into the draft um, and, and things like that. I, I think the last one, just to give a bonus one, would be the 49ers. If you count just their draft picks, it's an okay draft. But what they did with offloading some salary and Matt Breida, who I'm a big Matt Breida fan, a Georgia Southern guy, um, but offloading some salary there to get a, a pick that they wanted, um, trading for Trent Williams, who they said they're going to be able to get a long-term deal done with him soon. If you consider those draft picks, I think they did an excellent job with what they were given and got really tremendous value everywhere they picked, even though they only had five picks. 
All right, well, I want to go back to the Bills real quick just so we can take a, a little detour into the quarterback class. We, you know, we talked about Justin Herbert going all the way as high as six, which surprised a lot of people. We talked about Jordan Love, maybe not surprising that he went in the first round, but surprising that he went to the Packers. Um, and, and then you mentioned Fromm slipping all the way to the fourth round. Now, you weren't super high on Fromm. There were a lot of people that, I mean, his stock, think about where it was at the end of his sophomore year compared to where it was when he finally got drafted in the fifth round. I mean, it's it's almost impressive how much his draft stock fell, but as you pointed out in our quarterback preview, I mean, it's just a matter of arm strength, and he can't make a lot of the throws that he's going to be asked to make in the NFL, even if he can make all the right reads, even if he does all that correctly. Now, this is going to be, I'm going to make a comparison to the Packers here in terms of just, hey, you know, we really like this guy. We can't believe he's still available right here. We're going to go ahead and we're going to take him, even if it's a little bit of a reach, even if it's not exactly a fit. I feel like whatever backup quarterback you have needs to be similar to your starting quarterback because the idea is how can we keep you know keep the offense afloat if our quarterback goes down you know whether it's for a quarter or a game or for five weeks and you know you not every team has that luxury because if you know if you're backing up Tom Brady if you're backing up Drew Brees there's going to be a little bit of a drop off but but at least stylistically because what you see from Josh Allen on a, on a week in week out basis is a big guy with a big arm that's going to really take advantage of of his athleticism and those are all the things that Jake Fromm is not good at so. Uh, again, uh, to me, a case of the difference between drafting for need uh, versus, you know, just drafting the best guy available versus drafting for fit. Do you not see it as a problem that he's stylistically like the exact opposite of Josh Allen and might be backing him up? I think that this is an exception, maybe. Um, and one of the things that I, I think it really does here is it's the Bills committing to Josh Allen um, by taking a guy that complements Josh Allen well. Um, I think from what we've read, Josh Allen struggles to read defenses. Um, he's always gone out there. He's played at lower levels, you know, all throughout. It's not a bad thing. There's a lot of great football at lower levels. Um, but at Wyoming, what did he do? He would just go back there and just fire it in and make a superior throw to what the defense um, could do without having to really read the defense, look at, pick up on nuance and things like that. And where he struggled in the NFL other than the fact that he's a very inaccurate deep passer, um, is to read defenses, to see what defenses are doing to him. And so you bring in a guy as a backup that I think can complement Josh Allen really well there off the field. I think uh, Jake Fromm is probably better than almost everybody in this draft class at reading defenses. So you bring in a guy that that really can be – I think Chase Daniel is a genius. Um, Dude's made millions and has played like – 30 snaps in the NFL, I think. Um, And he's been in the NFL for eight years because he understands defenses. He understands what his role is. I don't think Jake Fromm will ever be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Mm -hmm. I do think he'll be a backup for years and years and years because of what he can bring to a team. If we continue this quarterback detour just for a second, as I'm looking at it and going through the the quarterbacks that were drafted, obviously we talked about the first round and and talked about Fromm there at number five. And in between, you have a guy like Jacob Eason that falls – uh, I guess all the way to the fourth round. It seemed like he was climbing up some people's boards. Again, you were high on Jordan Love, but I saw some people that had Jacob Eason even as the third quarterback on their big board. Some people four behind Justin Herbert. The point is, four seems like a, a good position to be able to steal him, and the Colts seems like a, a solid landing spot for him. Uh, and also, just a couple picks later in the fourth round, a guy named James Morgan out of Florida International. So, uh, first of all, what do you know about uh, James Morgan, uh, if anything? I'd never heard of him, literally, until draft night, so... Uh, don't mean to put you on the spot here, but uh, you know, talk about both of those guys' landing spots and 
and maybe why they went ahead of a guy like Fromm that did have a lot of the accolades and did play in the SEC and played in an SEC championship and a national championship. I think this just comes down to prototypical um, quarterback, what you want. Quarterback at that, that late, I don't think there's any such thing as overdrafting or underdrafting when you get to day three. Uh, well, I guess underdrafting, but overdrafting, I don't think there's any such thing as a day three reach because you're not even expecting a fourth round pick to have a significant contribution to your team. You're hoping you hit on it and you can find a Pro Bowl or you can find a Hall of Famer there, but you're not really expecting to say, all right, we need to get our, you know, our starting quarterback in the fourth round. It's just not going to happen. I like James Morgan. Um, as a fourth-round pick, the value is good there. He's a pro, has prototypical size. Um, he's a little bit older than a couple of these other guys, uh, but he's got a good arm, good size. And so I think, to me, it's one of those the Jets fell in love with him. Um, he is originally um, from up in that area, transferred from Bowling Green, so uh, Matt Country up there, um, but not really New York. But, you know, from the north. It's all the north um, compared to where I am. So, um but he's got that prototypical size. I think he's just um, a guy that the Jets fell in love with that they really like, and there's no overdrafting or underdrafting there. I, I saw a lot of experts have him going in the fourth round. Um, I thought my quarterback's draft ended up being probably my most accurate of everything. Mm. Um, my big board is obviously a little bit different of where my mock draft was, um, but I nailed the first three picks. Exactly. The only thing I missed with Tua is I had the uh, Dolphins trading up for Tua. Um, turned out that there was smoke from the Lions there. They were always going to take Okuda. Um, but I, I had the landing spots exactly right for the first three quarterbacks. Um, had Jordan Love as a late first rounder. And then really a lot of the later ones, um, you know, I had Jalen Hurts and Jacob Eason above Jake Fromm. Um, and, and I do think it, it has everything to do with NFL traits that late in uh in the draft um so I, I think a lot of it is fit i like jacob eason with the colts um he's under frank Reich there um who still has control of that team in a lot of ways um it, big arm um and he's really unpolished and i see potential for um jacob eason to get better a lot of times you'll see these guys that just you look at them and go you're probably not going to improve that much and i think the ability for Jacob Beeson being a fourth-round pick to improve, there's a lot less pressure. It's not Josh Allen where we're looking at him as the number seven pick, and you're going, okay, you better improve quick because we spent a first-round pick on you. Um, you've got Jacob Beeson who can develop kind of at his own rate and eventually maybe take over a team. We'll see. Hertz is the other guy that I wanted to ask you about and kind of you know, maybe the opposite of what happened in Buffalo, but a similar situation where it's it's two different styles of quarterbacks. Obviously, you're drafting Jalen Hurts to go be the backup for Carson Wentz, a guy that gets hurt a lot. So you're you're probably honestly going to be expecting Jalen Hurts to get some playing time this year, but a guy that, that plays the, the quarterback position, frankly, a lot differently than Carson Wentz. So good pick for the Eagles, surprising pick for the Eagles, bad pick for the Eagles. What's your take? I think any quarterback that goes and plays for Doug Peterson gets better. Um, so I actually really like this pick. Um, I, I know a lot of people don't. I, I have nothing wrong with drafting a backup quarterback in the second round. The problem I have with people is people comparing Jalen Hurts to Taysom Hill. If you look at their college stats, they're not even in the same realm, despite playing at two different levels. Um, you've got um, not that – I mean, BYU is FBS. But you've got um, a 
group of five quarterback in Taysom Hill that was never more accurate than 55% on a year, never threw for more than 800 yards in a season, and you're comparing him to Jalen Hurts, who really stacks up against some of the best quarterbacks of all time in college. Um, what he was able to do at two different schools, he doesn't get enough credit for. We always talk about his leadership. I think we talk about his leadership in um, ex- instead of his ability, and I think he's got a ton of ability. And just because he's got a slightly longer throwing motion, um, maybe doesn't throw with quite as much anticipation as um, some of these other quarterbacks doesn't mean that he can't be successful. And I think as a backup quarterback to Carson Wentz, he can bring a lot because they're actually really similar quarterbacks. Um, Carson Wentz has a better arm than people give him credit for. He's got better athleticism than people give him credit for. Um, And not that I'm a huge Carson Wentz fan, but I think that these guys are actually really similar quarterbacks, despite what we maybe think and what we're hearing. Um, We might see him in specific packages, but I really think that's just to get him on the field. I'm not a big fan of package football. Um, Keep your quarterback out there you know, play with your quarterback. But I do think that if Jalen Hurts needs to um, step in, he has more than enough ability to be able to step in, even as a rookie, um, and not see a tremendous drop-off from Carson Wentz. Hmm. Well, and your point on on Doug Peterson there is is very well taken, if anybody can do it. Uh, Again, like people give Lincoln Riley all the credit for constructing the offense in Oklahoma and and getting the most out of Jalen Hurts. Uh, but it could very well be the same thing in Philadelphia for a guy that's one of the more respected offensive minds in the league. So uh, I guess that part of it shouldn't be overlooked uh, for sure. Uh, just a quick recap, your best drafts in 2020 in no particular order. You had the Bills, you had the Browns, you had the Cowboys. Um, actually in reverse order if you had them in a particular order. The 49ers were your bonus best draft. Now let's move on to the three teams that absolutely sucked last Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It's always the Seahawks every single year. Um, every year it's, I, I read it that Pete Carroll thinks he's smarter than everybody else, but when you consistently think you're smarter than everybody else, it might be you. That's a little bit different. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Pete Carroll as a coaching philosophy. I think he's probably the best locker room coach in the NFL. Um, he just knows how to get the most out of his players. I don't think his in-game decision-making is very good. I don't think his overall coaching philosophy is very good. And I think he's wasted Russell Wilson, who is a better quarterback than people even give him credit for. Um, And every single year they do this, and we expect them to do this, and we still can't predict how they're going to do it because it's just so off the wall. They didn't pick a single player in my top 100. Um, Their first-round pick, Jordan Brooks, very, very, very good run stopper. Um, doesn't really do well in coverage. And you think about those teams in their division, what team is really going to be running the ball 50 times a game in their division that they have to play six times a year? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've got three teams that really – other. I mean, the Seahawks are, are the team that runs the ball in that division. Everybody else likes to spread you out, um, put mismatches everywhere, and having a guy that's a very obvious mismatch in the passing situation just does not make sense, especially in the first round. I don't hate uh, Daryl Taylor. I do hate him in the second round. Um, I think you're looking way more at projection than uh, production. Um, And I think that he, um, again, you're taking a guy that is known as a run stopper in that division. So your top two picks are run stoppers. I just don't love that, um, you know, off the bat. And so 
from there, it's really hard to question a team's, you know, day two and day three picks. It's really we're going to be looking, this is going to be top heavy and where I question top, uh, top picks. But it's also where you just don't see a guy um, at the bottom that you think is going to be an impact player. Um, I think their best pick um, of the entire draft was Colby Parkinson in the fourth round, and I'm not super high on him. I think he's a very – I mean, he's a 6'7 tight end, so he can probably have some um, – you know, he'll get open. He'll be a, a big receiver. I just don't think he's going to um, be a super, super impact player. And I'm, I'm looking that, at that as my best pick. I just don't really like any draft that does that. Um, so definitely we, we're always – every single year we're going to say the Seahawks. And inevitably one of those guys will become way better than anybody expected. I just don't know who it is, and I don't really like that draft. Hmm, right. Well, that's the interesting part. The, the narrative with Seattle is always, you know, we don't know who these guys are. We don't know what they're doing. But, you know, don't question how the hot dog's made. There's a method to the madness because they're consistently competitive. They're consistently great. But it sounds like while most people will say – there's a method to the madness and you know these picks are going to pan out and Pete Carroll really knows what he's doing it sounds like you kind of go the other way and say think about how good the Seahawks could be if they had somebody better in charge of personnel and, and maybe the only reason that they're good is Russell Wilson and everything else if it were a lot better the Seahawks maybe would have won a couple more Super Bowls you know since since Carroll and, and Wilson got there mm-hmm. yeah I mean they've got the talent I mean what you need is you need a um, legitimate superstar quarterback and they've got one um, and they've got a defense, and they still year after year um, seem to fall short of expectations. I would say. Hmm. All right. So who are the other two? So I've got Chicago as another one of mine. This may be a little bit unfair. They didn't have a first round pick uh, because of the Khalil Mack trade, um, but they didn't get a lot of value most of the time. I do like two of their picks, um, and they're both actually uh, corners, but. They now have 10 uh, tight ends on their roster. So you, they spend their first pick on Cole Komet from uh, Notre Dame. We talked about the tight end class not being the greatest. Um, they take him as the, I believe he was the first uh, tight end off the board, and that puts 10 on their roster. And in a statement from their, uh, I can't remember who it was, if it was their GM, their, their president, something like that, they said we really liked his fastball when we scouted him as a baseball player as a tight end. And if that's the first thing that you're saying is he's got a really good fastball. So we're going to take our 10th tight end. I just do not get that pick at all. Not because I don't like him. I think he's pretty decent. The problem that it is, is you're picking a tight end when you don't really throw your tight ends a lot. You have 10 tight ends on the roster. You have Mitch Trubisky as your quarterback. You have bigger issues here than let's pick another tight end. Um, two of the guys I do really like on their draft, I have to give them credit. Um, big fan of Jalen Johnson uh, and his value uh, there in the mid-second round. Uh, long, rangy corner. We saw that um, a lot of mock drafts had him going to the Vikings in the first round. Um, so I really think that that's a good value there. I'll give them that. Um, and I like Kendall Vildor from uh, Georgia Southern. I, I, you know, I like my, F, uh, my low FBS guys. Um, from this area, and I really like Georgia Southern. I like their defensive backs coach, um, who is now has now moved. But shout out to former Gamecock uh, Corey Peoples, who was um, Kendall Vildor's position coach in college. Um, I really like this pick 
late in the um, or mid fifth round. That being said, they didn't get a lot of value at the top of the draft where they were drafting, and they didn't have a lot of draft capital there either, which is just a bad combination. And so a lot of times it's just you don't have um, a lot of draft capital to use, and so you have to um, you have to use that the most, uh, and, and you really have to, to help yourself out there. Um, and so it's a little unfair. You're going to have teams that are naturally going to have better opportunity to be good. If they have two first-rounders, you're going to have a better opportunity to have a good draft. If you have no first-rounders, you're going to have worse opportunity. The Bears kind of fall into that, um, but I don't love the draft anyway from where they are. And then the last one, I'm going to give a, um, you know, go ahead and hate on the Panthers' rivals a little bit. I didn't like the Falcons' draft, and as far as um, analytically, the Saints' draft was not very good either. Um, first of all, Saints draft, just, just talking very quickly, the main thing that hurts them is they had four picks, which you never, ever, ever want to have just four picks. Um, we've talked about before the best draft philosophy is to trade back because the more players you pick, the better chance one of them is going to be good. Um, I don't love Ruiz in the first round. I had him as a second round, mid-second round grade. I do like Zach Bond in the third round. I think he's um, excellent value there some injury history there, some fit scheme issues maybe, but to get a guy that I had a fringe as a fringe third rounder in, or first rounder in the third round is good. Um, I like Adam Troutman in the late third round too. I had a second round grade on him. He was my, I think, my best tight end. Um, I, I look back. Um, I really liked him out of Dayton. The problem is those are the only two, uh, three day one and day two picks. They traded back into the seventh round with a sixth-round pick next year to get a guy that probably won't make the roster in Tommy Stevens. Their draft philosophy there, they really liked their guys, but they didn't hit any position of need, and they don't have a lot of opportunity to um, have a good draft. Let's say one of these guys gets hurt. You really have a, a maybe, what, two chances now for um, one of those guys to have any sort of impact whatsoever. Um, when you're really looking for, when you're a team as good as the Saints, you really want two or three guys at least to contribute to your team based on your draft. And they just don't have a lot of opportunity for that. Um, And so, you know, now going to the Falcons, I just don't like their value in really any of their picks. Um, Other than maybe uh, Michael Walker in the fourth round. I like him out of Fresno State, really rangy uh, linebacker, heady linebacker. I thought he was, you know, pretty good. Um, and a good pick in the fourth round. That being said, A.J. Terrell has potential to be good. To pick him that far above where he could have been picked, the Falcons could have saved their draft by just trading with the Eagles, trading down to 21, picking the same guy, picking up a third-round pick, and calling it a day. The Eagles would have done that. I believe I read that the Eagles tried to do that, and the Falcons said, no, we want our guy. There was nobody between 17 and 21 that were going to pick A.J. Terrell. Zero percent chance. And so the Falcons basically gave up free draft pick to take their guy way earlier than he probably should have gone. Um, Second round, I don't really love Marlon Davidson. We talked about he just doesn't have a fit. Is he an edge? Is he a big edge? Is he a small defensive tackle? He's not athletic enough to um, maybe play either of those positions and excel at those positions. Um, so I don't love that pick either. Um, and then you, you got Matt Hennessy is a decent value. And then you have got, um, one 
late, late pick, which, again, you know, we're talking about a punter. I do like Syracuse's punter that they picked. Um, that being said, you know, seventh-round punter, whatever, I'm not going to make a grade based on a seventh-round punter. Uh, what they did at the top I think is a little bit surprising, and I do think they could have gotten a lot more value just by listening to some trades down. Well, Panther fans love hearing that the Falcons just blew it. Um, I know you probably put yourself in that category. And you didn't mention Panthers as one of the teams with the three best drafts. I think they have one of the most intriguing drafts and obviously made history by being the first team to spend all seven of their picks on defensive players. Uh, not quite one in every round because they traded up. I guess they traded their third pick to get into the end of the second round. So it was uh, a first-round pick, two seconds, and then four, five, six, seven. Uh, what do you make of the Panthers drafting seven defensive players, and how close was it to making your one of your three best drafts of 2020? It probably should make my one of my three best drafts, but I am a little bit biased. So the Panthers are the only team that got three first-round graded guys um, that, that I had graded as a first-round first picks. Um, so I had Derek Brown um, actually graded uh, just really close to uh, Yitor Gross Matos. Um, I had Brown, I think, at 17th just because of positional value and uh, Gross Matos at, like, 21. Um, so they get those guys in the first two rounds, and then they get maybe my favorite safety in the draft in Jeremy Chin. In at 64, I had him ranked like 25th. Um, so as far as pure value, um, it's the best valued second round pick of any team. Um, very close uh, with uh, Epinesa from the Bills. Uh, but probably my, my best value is getting Jeremy Chin there in the second round. Um, quick anecdote there. Uh, I was watching the, the draft with uh, one of my buddies um, who lives right next to me and um, we were reading all of the draft picks on Twitter before they were announced, except for our teams. He's a Colts fan. Obviously, I'm a Panthers fan. So when the Panthers and Colts were coming up, we'd stop reading on Twitter, um, and we'd be surprised by the pick. He was really intrigued when the Panthers traded up, so he looked on Twitter to see who they picked. And he knew uh, all day I've been talking about the Panthers will have a great second day of the draft if they pick Jeremy Chin anywhere, if that's at 38, if that's in the third round, wherever they get him. They can trade all of their picks for Jeremy Chin. It'll work. I'm happy with that. Um, he, you don't trade up for safety very often. So when that happened, I was a little bit nervous um, and kind of jokingly was like, I bet we just picked Jake Fromm. This is not going to be good. I'm super sad right now. And he just kind of looked at me and was like, ah, I mean, I don't know. And he probably should have videoed me, but I, I probably <laughs> let out a little bit too loud of a scream when um, – Jeremy Chin was picked, announced as the pick. Um, and I thought that just immediately did um, any second thoughts about not taking Isaiah Simmons were kind of dispelled when that happened because you get a guy that does the exact same thing, but around really two rounds later because the last pick in the second round. Um, so there's my quick story about how much I love Jeremy Chin. Uh, but Gris Matos is a big, um, really, really intriguing pick. His upside is top half of the first round, like Pro Bowler, really like that. Um, Troy Pride, a local guy, Greer High School guy. I had a second-round grade on him, very late second-round grade, but you get him in the fourth round. Um, and then you get Kenny Robinson, who, who I thought was uh, really good. Uh, what's intriguing about Robinson to me, he's the only XFL guy, maybe the only XFL guy ever drafted. Uh, that could be a, a tidbit there. Um, but he was kicked out of West Virginia for academic misconduct. 
and then you read what actually happened, and not that I'm condoning academic misconduct in any way whatsoever, but he had to go very last minute to a funeral back home. And so he had a friend turn in an assignment for him, and that's what he got kicked out of West Virginia for because he was attending a funeral had a friend turn in his assignment. Um, so as far as off-field issues go, you could get a lot worse. Um, and I think he's a good value. He had four interceptions, I think, in like six weeks um, in the XFL. Um, really, really long, tall safety, could play corner. Uh, and then you get, you know, your token Baylor guy and Bravian Roy, who's just gigantic. Uh, and then you beef up the defensive back uh, backfield again with Stanley Thomas Oliver. I, I think there's a lot of value in this draft. Um, and I do kind of like that they went with all defensive players. Just even if it's slightly gimmicky, I kind of love that to say, okay, we're going to give Joe Brady all these uh, veterans on offense. And then we're going to give Phil Snow on defense all of these, um, just all of these rookies um, and deployable chess pieces uh, to use in a bunch of different ways. So that was way too much about the Panthers draft, but I really like it. No, I mean, it was it was fascinating for a lot of reasons. And again, like Panther fan or no, I think there's a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of upside there. I saw some Panther fans that were really upset that the Panthers took Derek Brown at seven instead of Isaiah Simmons. And a lot of people saying, oh, well, you know, you you lost Luke Keekley. How do you miss the opportunity to draft his replacement? And I'm just thinking, you know, that that's not a light, that's not really a like for like comparison. You it's know, not. even if the Panthers had gotten Simmons, he wasn't going to be the next Luke Keekley. And frankly, the way that NFL defenses are constructed right now, and you and I talked about this a lot in the linebacker episode, I think if you can choose between an A plus linebacker and an A plus defensive tackle, or even an A plus linebacker and an A minus defensive tackle, you're going to take the A minus defensive tackle with the way that football's played right now especially with the safety draft and the way they were able to get Jeremy Chin, I think he'll play like a spur position. Um, if anybody, I think I've said this before. Um, if anybody remembers uh, South Carolina, uh, when they would basically play with two and a half safeties, I think that's what the Panthers will do. I see Robinson starting um, along with uh, Burgess at the two safety positions, maybe Boston. And then having Jeremy Chin start as like a third safety inbox linebacker, um, the Ravens have done this before. Um, a couple other teams are starting to do this. I think you're really – you drafted a hybrid safety linebacker to play both positions, mm -hmm. and in today's NFL, that works. Yep, and the Kenny Robinson pick, another really interesting one. I've seen some draft analysts calling that the steal of the draft, and again, part of the reason that he fell as far as he did is because some people will look at an off-the-field issue like that and consider it a red flag, but you read his story in the Players' Tribune – you know, it's really well written. He really makes the case for himself. And, you know, if nothing else, again, like, I don't condone cheating. That's not good to have on your record. But for a guy to, to be as open about the situation as he was, for him to own it um, and, and, to, and to make that all public rather than trying to bury it or try to pretend like it didn't happen, I think speaks, you know, maybe even more to his character than the fact that he did it in the first place. So really great for the Panthers that he, that he felt a the fifth round there and seems like someone that could really be a contributor. So just, just fascinating draft or a really good draft for the Panthers and, and most of the Panther fans that I've talked to about it uh, that I guess followed the Panthers were, were pretty pleased with the draft. Uh, if we can turn even a little bit more local before we get out of here, uh, obviously four Gamecocks were drafted. Five more have signed undrafted free agent deals. And I expect at least one more to do so before the start of the season, before OTAs and things like that. But if we can just run through, obviously Javon Kinlaw, great pick 14, Feels about right. Um, I don't know where most mocks had him exactly, but it seemed like, like the late. Uh, what do you call it? What I don't know what, what the how do you how you call the group of numbers between zero and nine, but somewhere between like eight and fifteen seemed like where he was going to go. The 49ers, maybe the best case scenario for him because he's going to go to a, a defense that's you know already 
basically Super Bowl ready. He's just going to kind of fill in for where DeForest Buckner was. He's not going to have too much attention put on him. He's not going to have too much expectation put on him. He's going to have the opportunity to come in and thrive in an an already good and efficient defense. Is this maybe even the best possible landing spot for Ken Law? Javon Ken Law gets to play next to Nick Bosa, (laughs) um, which objectively is the best defensive player he's ever played with. Um, And he gets to play right next to him. Uh, that's just their defensive line is just insane. Um, and again, the 49ers are, we always talk about how their philosophy is the best in the NFL right now, and they will win a Super Bowl soon. Um, the, the roster that they've been able to construct with Jimmy Garoppolo as quarterback is in, incredible. Um, if they had any, I don't like Jimmy Garoppolo, if they had any competent slightly more competent quarterback, they'd be by far the best team in the, um, in the NFL. But you see where their emphasis is placed. They love their DBs. They love their offensive linemen. They love their, like, gadget guys. <laughs> and they love their defense line. And that's where the NFL is won. You want good guys that can pass block. You want guys that can pass rush. You want guys that can get open and guys that can stop people from getting open. And everything they do – they can never have enough gadget guys. They can never have enough defensive linemen. They can never have enough DBs. Um, it, their philosophy just makes sense. And you look at their draft, and that's what they did. Defensive tackle, wide receiver, offensive tackle, tight end, wide receiver. Um, and so they're just getting all of these guys um, that can get to the passer, that can get open, that can stop people from getting open. Javon Kinlaw will thrive in that defense because he doesn't have to do everything. Um, and, and that's what I think will be really, really good. You saw how good uh, Kim Law was this year now that DJ Wanham was a little bit healthier, had a little bit more help on the defensive line. That, as much as anything, was why Javon Kim Law had such a good senior season. Mm-hmm. And now he's got that same thing but better in um, San Francisco. Yeah, can't double and triple team him on every snap like he could, like, like teams could do to him when he was in South Carolina because, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good defensive line and a good defense. And, Good defensive coordinator, just a really good team. So super excited to see him. Again, like if you're a Carolina fan, you're like, ah, you know, I would have rather seen him go, you know, five or six or something like that. It's like, hmm, he's it's going to be a lot better off in San Francisco. Uh, the next game cock off the board uh, was Brian Edwards. And Wes and Chris and I ran through this on another Carolina podcast on Wednesday. But again, want to get your take as more of the, the, the film breaking down NFL expert kind of guy. Approach it from the college perspective. Approach it from the pro perspective. And, uh, and Edwards... I thought the Raiders draft was maybe not great, but at least exciting and kind of interesting. Obviously, they take rugs early on. They go on and take Brian Edwards, and look, they're moving to Las Vegas. So you need some shiny new toys, some, some I don't know, just some, some fun pieces to throw out there on the field to add intrigue in a city where there's already a lot of intrigue. So how are you going to get people interested in going to football games when they could be going to casinos or concerts or whatever? You draft Brian Edwards. You draft Henry Ruggs. The problem for me, I guess the one caveat with this pick in terms of it being a good landing spot for Brian Edwards is who is delivering him the football. Is it Marcus Mariota? Is it Derek Carr? I don't think either of those are necessarily great options, uh, but how do you assess Brian Edwards' landing spot? Um, I thought that, and I have to give credit, I did not like when the Raiders hired Mike Mayock or John Gruden. I didn't think any of that strategy would work out. But we're starting to see that Mike Mayock's ability to evaluate prospects is really, really, really helping that team because they fit all of these guys. You can almost, if it's a puzzle, put each piece where it's supposed to go and you know immediately where it's supposed to go. Um, so I, off the top of my head, I don't think the Raiders um, 
wide receiver room is that good um, right now. And they end up getting three guys that I really, really like. And you can immediately tell where all of them are going to go. You know that Henry Ruggs is going to be your burner. You know that um, uh, Lynn Bowden is going to be your gadget guy. You know that uh, Brian Edwards is going to be your literally as Ted Wynn, who's great guy on the athletic. Um, he's from the Bay Area. Does a lot of film um, analysis. Has just been tweeting out um, gifts of Brian Edwards making ridiculous catches and just saying this is what he brings. It's, you know, nothing else. It's not anything fancy. It's not look at him get open here. It's just, oh, there's Brian Edwards making another ridiculous catch. And that's what he's going to be doing for the Raiders is he's just always open. And you've got two other guys that fit really well in that offense. And you're starting to look at where's Brian Edwards going to fit. He doesn't have to have a perfect throw every single time. He's a guy that you can overthrow a little bit. He's still going to be open. He's a guy that um, you you can run. You don't have to ask him to do too much. He can do a lot. Um, But you don't have to ask him to do that much. I personally think that he's going to kind of do – Nelson Aguilar is on that team. He's going to do a lot of Nelson Aguilar kind of stuff. I think Brian Edwards can beat him out. Um, But really, other than that, you've got Zay Jones, who's never really lived up to the hype. Um, Hunter Renfro, um, Tyrell Williams. So you've got some guys here and there. Um, but I think within a year or two, you're going to see Brian Edwards as maybe the number two option on that team just because of what he can do um, when the ball's near him. Um, and then again, as we've said before, his ability after the catch is way better than his numbers would suggest, than his like combine numbers, his height, weight, speed. Um, numbers would suggest he's really good with the ball after the catch. And I think that he can do a lot of things in that offense, even if we're not really sure who's going to be delivering the ball. Excited to see him go there and to that team. Again, like it's going to be fun for Edwards to be in, in Vegas. And if they can get they can get the quarterback situation figured out, and as you mentioned, maybe it doesn't even matter. Maybe having a bad quarterback gives him more opportunities to make spectacular catches. But um, I, I don't know. I'm I'm excited to see what that Raider offense looks like next year. Uh, next Gamecock that heard his name called was DJ Wanham just a round later, the fourth round, number 117 overall to the Minnesota Vikings. Again, this feels like a, a good situation for him. The you know the Vikings, one of the better teams in the NFC the last couple years, a team that consistently has a pretty good defense and seems like an opportunity for him to come in and not have to do too much right away and and you know grow into the defense a little bit. And he's not going to be playing 65 snaps a game, but 15 or 20 and, and grow into the system and take some time, I guess, I guess, to develop and get used to the NFL game. Yeah, I think one of the things that um, we can really look at and I think that makes this a little bit easier is I always like to look at the roster to see where these late-round or mid-round guys fit based on what the roster is around them. And you look at DJ Wanham, and he's almost a clone of Daniel Hunter. Um, Hunter's going to be a little bit better of a pass rusher. He's more established, obviously, in the NFL. That's not what we're really talking about. We're talking about how do the Vikings use Daniel Hunter and where can DJ Wanham come in and supplement that. And I think what it does is it gives you um, a guy where you can take Hunter out of the game, bring in Wanham, and they give you a lot of the same stuff uh, despite being two different players. And and Mm -hmm. so I think for the early part of his career, he can be a great change of pace um, defensive end. And I like this landing spot um, based on what he's got around him and the fact that he's not going to have to do too much too early on. The last pick was a little bit of a surprise. Um, I think you had mentioned, you know, maybe Rico Dowdle, someone that would go as a late-round guy. Uh, Donnell Stanley, you know, maybe win somebody over in an interview and, and get a flyer in the sixth or seventh round. But it was, in fact, T.J. Brunson, pick number 238 overall to the New York Giants that was the last Gamecock to get drafted. 
Uh, your level of surprise in this and your assessment of his landing spot in New York. Um, TJ Brunson screams giant linebacker to me. Um, he's a guy that I can see Dave Gettleman loving. Um, big, big guy, downhill, um, fill the hole kind of linebacker. TJ Brunson doesn't have the speed to be an every down linebacker. Um, we knew that coming in. But linebacker is a position where you can contribute in a lot of different ways, um, whether that's as a bigger linebacker in some goal line packages or in some less obvious pass situations. You don't have to worry about putting him in too much one-on-one coverage, um, that kind of stuff. And I really like um, like this landing spot, and I think that one of the things that he can bring to a team um, that is really helpful is his special teams experience. Mm. Um, a lot of people like – will must champ defenders because they do a lot of different things and his special teams experience really can help him early on. I think as a, um, as a linebacker, I think that's super helpful um, to be able to be able to have a guy um, to be able to contribute in different ways that don't include being one of the first three linebackers on the team sheet mm-hmm. um, or, you know, the three linebackers that are on the field, really two linebackers a lot of times now um, where you're going to, um, have to play every down i think early in his career he can kind of carve out a role on special teams there maybe a a package kind of deal um and hopefully from there he can um you know start to see his playing time increase a little bit and and find a role and find um a little spot on that team to um carve out a long nfl career Special teams is going to be really important for a lot of these guys uh you know obviously tj brunson at the end of the draft and then the five guys that have so far sign undrafted free agent deals. Uh, Rico Dowdle with the Cowboys, Tavian Feaster with the Jags, Donnell Stanley with the Dolphins, Kobe Smith with the Tennessee Titans, and Kyle Markway joining TJ Brunson uh, as a New York Giant. Uh, just as, a, I guess, a quick way of running through those five guys, and I'll say as a caveat, I fully expect Joseph Troughton to sign with a team at some point. I'm surprised that he hasn't already. Um, but of the five guys that I mentioned, of Markway, of Smith, Feaster, Stanley, and Dowdle, which of those guys do you expect to stick on, you know, if not that team, a team by the beginning of the 2020 season? I think, um, honestly, the two guys that stand out to me as probably going to make a roster is um, I like um, Kobe Smith and Tavian Feaster with their landing spots. Kobe Smith is a very, very underrated run defender. Um, and, and kind of similar to TJ Brunson, you need defensive tackles that can stop the run. Um, and as far as, um, you know, draft picks or whatever, he probably was never going to be a draft pick, but he can offer a lot to a team as a run stopper. And uh, South Carolina has a history of just putting out really underrated, undrafted free agent defensive tackles, if that's a possible statement to make. Um, <laughs> you, you've just got guys, uh, Taylor Stallworth comes to mind immediately as a guy that nobody ever thought he was going to get drafted. He picked up an undrafted free agent. It's like, oh, okay, that's, that's cool. And now he's still sitting here on the Saints making an impact every week um, just as a rotational player on the defensive line. You're going to need 10 to 15 defensive linemen. And I think that Kobe Smith has enough, is it good enough at one thing to be able to make a rotation? Um, I think that Mike Brable is really going to like him. Um, being a defensive guy, being a, a hard-nosed head coach, I really like that landing spot for him in uh, Tennessee. And then I just look at, at Tavian Feaster. Again, when you're an undrafted free agent, you want to be able to do one thing really good. And 
he can um, he knows how to get into the open field and he can catch passes, and that's something that teams want. Um, and I think, especially at running back, it's a lot easier to make a roster as an undrafted free agent. The reason I say Feaster over Dowdle is the Cowboys running back room is ridiculously crowded right now. Um, it will get, it will thin out a little bit, but if you look at Jacksonville, what do they have? And they're looking to get rid of their starter anyway. Um, there's just not a lot of overly, it, there's not a, a huge competition there in Jacksonville for uh, the running back position. Most teams keep three or four. Um, and I think Feaster could be absolutely be one of those three or four. Last thing, because it probably wouldn't be a podcast with you and me if we didn't talk about Clyde Edwards-Elaire, maybe one of my favorite picks in the entire draft, 32 to the Chiefs. Um, Should the NFL have just blocked that pick because that seems unfair? Yeah, there are certain things where you you make a big board, and of course your big board is based on generically where, you know, you can't – your projections change when they end up um, turning to different teams. And so, like, if I were looking at this like a fantasy football format or something where I go now, okay, let's reassess the draft board. Let's reassess our running back rankings. I think immediately he jumps to running back number one in this draft class based on where he ends up. It is borderline unfair that Andy Reid gets to use him now. Um, I I know some of my analytics guys don't love it, but he's better out of the backfield as a pass catcher than people give him credit for. Um, And I think the Chiefs are going to be able to use him I think my, much, most of my analytics guys that don't like the pick just don't like anything that involves Patrick Mahomes touching the ball less or throwing the ball uh, closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, analytically speaking, technically the Chiefs in like yards per play, points per play, um, expected points added, all that kind of stuff, their best play should literally just be to drop back and play, you know, run four verts every single play of every game and they would probably score 60 points a game. Eventually, teams, of course, would adjust there. You know, it's not played on a spreadsheet, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I do like this edwards Lair pick a lot more than a lot of my analytics guys do. Um, and, and I just think it's because he brings so much to the table. And the fact that he's playing um, with Patrick Mahomes, with Tyreek Hill, uh, with uh, Travis Kelsey, all this kind of stuff, um, I think it's just almost unfair how many weapons they have on offense. Anything else you wanted to get to? Individual picks, uh, teams, anything funny from the draft broadcast that you wanted to mention before we get out of here? I do find it really funny. Um, There was a guy that was uh, just a random thing to look up on Twitter. I can't remember the guy's name, so this is probably going to make it more difficult. I can tweet it out again today. Um, But there was a guy that after the first round, when they were – anybody watched the draft, there were people making a big deal about the fact that literally every player was like, likes to cook, um, played this in high school. <laughs> Mom was killed at the age of 10 um, or, or when, when they were 10 or, you know, second cousins goldfish died or something like that. It was just every single one of them was like, here's this person that they were really close to that died, you know, just in case you wanted, you know, some sadness on your draft day. And there was a guy on Twitter after the draft who did um, superheroes as draft picks. And it was always like, there was like Batman was um, incredibly intelligent, good height, weight, strength ratio, um, good speed, great work ethic. Parents were killed in front of him at the age of eight. Um, And just did this for like 14 different uh, superheroes. 
And it was probably the funniest thing I saw from the draft. So I'll tweet that out today again, um, just because that was so funny um, based on what I thought was a very weird thing for um, a bunch of the networks to do with all of that. This person died or this person was addicted to drugs or whatever. I don't get why you would do that. I don't understand the appeal of that. Um, I don't really know where they were going with that and who made that decision. Um, But as, as much as something like that can be, you know, made a little bit of fun of, I, I thought the, the Twitter, the superhero thing was hilarious. Yeah, that's that, that's something really fun. I need to find that. And I, I guess you'll tweet it out later. So add WHelms21 on Twitter. Uh, but that was super weird. Like, you understand, you know, they do it on on uh, College Game Day. And, and there are a lot of human interest stories that are worth telling. And there's a lot of people whose stories include tragedy. And it's an important part of, you know, overcoming that tragedy and getting to wherever they are, you know, whether it's in athletics or business or wherever. Like, a lot of people have individual, like, personal tragedies they have to overcome. But it did seem like they were digging for it, which is weird because that's not kind of not, not really the stuff that you kind of want to dig in on a day that's, I think, typically a celebration for those players and for those families. Again, like, sometimes it's an important part of your story, but it felt like they were reaching sometimes, which is uh, probably the, the, the weirdest and, and most uncomfortable part of what was otherwise, you know, a pretty interesting broadcast given the circumstances. But, um, Will, this has been great. Uh, what are you doing now with your time? Um, I'm watching Community, actually. Oh, good. Um, so uh, we are just about done with season one. So that has been an excellent recommendation. Um, good. I love it. So, good. Um, doing that, you know, trying to do a little bit, like I said earlier, a little bit of draft prep for next year. Just look at the wide receiver class, maybe the quarterback class. Um, and then try to relax a little bit. So we'll see. Good. All right. Well, good luck with that. I know that's uh, not the easiest thing in the world for you to do, but uh, we appreciate all the work that you put in because it's made for a heck of a bunch of podcasts here the last couple weeks. And uh, like I said, if you want to follow him on Twitter at WHelms21 to see all the stuff that he's going to be doing uh, throughout the course of the offseason, I'm sure he'll be on Twitch again. I'm sure he'll be uh, putting a bunch of interesting stuff out there. So follow him on Twitter and check out his company, PrepRA, prep-ra.com. If you or someone you know is looking to be a college athlete at the next level and needs help with SAT or ACT preparation, uh, private group tutoring, subject tutoring, college prep, recruiting guidance, social media workshops, essay editing, you know, film breakdown, whatever it is that you need, PrepRA is your one-stop shop for all of that. So, Will, thanks so much. Uh, enjoy the offseason as much as you can. I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of community, and I, I really appreciate all, all the work you put into this. This has been great. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thanks again. That'll do it for... Uh, this episode, maybe this season of Gamecock Central GM, we'll be back in, in some in some shape or form here. Uh, I don't know, an early mock draft of next year or something like that. But point is, uh, keep keep it tuned here to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. Another Carolina podcast, the Hard Valve, Gamecock Central GM, Wes Mitchell's Quarantine Talks, a lot of great content there and GamecockCentral.com. So don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and uh, also subscribe to GamecockCentral.com. For Will, I'm Pearson. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you sometime. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.